Hello, and welcome to the Seminole Wrap, a podcast about all things Florida State. I'm Tim Allenball, and I'm joined by Perry Costadakis and Juan Montavo. On today's episode, we're going to be speaking with Cam Underwood of the State of the U SB Nation site. He's going to be an Embody Miami this week as he talks about what Florida State can expect in the upcoming week. We'll also catch up with Perry to get the latest on Coach Mike Norvell and his COVID-19 positive test results. All that and more on this week's Seminole Wrap. All right, boys, it is Miami week. How are you feeling, Juan? Raise those hurricane flags, baby. There's nothing better than as a Florida State fan than Miami week. To me, it's the biggest rivalry on the on the calendar. Um, Florida isn't on the calendar this year because they're too scared to play us, as, as we've talked about before. And uh, Clemson, I don't believe that we are going to have a matchup against them. If we do, I don't think it's going to happen. I just pretend it won't exist. But Miami, even though I know that this is not going to be a year that's probably going to be a lot of fun for Florida State against Miami, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, uh, uh, being down here in South Florida, I live in West Palm, got a lot of family in, in Miami, a uh, lot of Miami fans that are friends, um, even some Florida State buddies I went to college with, one of them's a Miami fan. So the, 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 the texts are flowing fast and free, and it's going to be a fun week. It's, it's, it's a true hate week. Harry, One week uh, is a, a way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like in Daytona, Perry, as far um, as fandom? In Daytona, it that's a good I, – I think it's mainly Gator fans, actually. There's just a few Seminole fans here and there, but there's not too many Miami fans because it's just kind of separated off to the side. While I've been in Tampa – I actually have been shocked that USF fans exist. Like, I did not know that there's actually a passionate fan base for the school that is just FSU backwards. But that's been the main exciting thing. I work, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, he's a pretty nice guy, but with a Miami fan who is a very diehard Miami. And I know this entire week is going to be miserable for me. And then Monday's just, next Monday is going to be even worse. And I have a UCF coworker too. So I know I'm going to get roasted tomorrow over the fact that UCF was capable of beating Georgia Tech. All right, before we before we go to Miami, let's talk about the big news that Florida State had this past week. Florida State was on a bye. You thought they couldn't hurt you. You thought that Florida State was going to give you a week off, but no. Saturday news broke uh, from Coach Norvell and then from the program that he tested positive for COVID-19. He's asymptomatic. His family's come back negative. But as a result, he is on a two-week quarantine, which means he will not be on the sidelines for Saturday's game against Miami. Juan, give me your thoughts there. Well, first of all, it's a big blow. You want to have your coach on the sidelines. The only way that it can turn into a positive is if he does what Hugh Freeze did at Liberty when he was in the hospital. (laughs) Coaches from the hospital bed up in the the tower – no, obviously it's going to be it's going to be difficult. You know, I don't think there's any way that you can call in plays or anything like that. Um, obviously, he's going to miss the game week of practice. They were able to get the full bye week of practice in. It sounds like before he uh, tested positive, so it's it's a significant blow. And of course, the question is, who will that contract tracing lead to being put in quarantine? 
him being a coach, one would think that, you know, he's going to have had exposure to some of the other members of the staff at the very least, if not players directly. So it's really like, a, okay, what's going to happen in the next couple of days? I mean, you know, we, we did, uh, we, we have uh, later on the podcast, we have a preview with, uh, with, with Cam Underwood of my, of the Miami site state of the U that game may not be played. Like it's entirely possible that, you know, the, 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 what happened in some of the, some of the other games, uh, I think it was, was it Syracuse? Uh, re- re- refresh my memory, but I know Virginia, Virginia English... Tech has gotten pushed back. That's right. Virginia Tech. Uh, I know, right. With the Charlotte 49ers. Oh yeah. That one post- postponed this past weekend. Yeah. So, I mean, what, you've had multiple ACC games uh, that have been postponed. Um, it wouldn't shock me to see this one postponed. I mean, uh, and to be frank, given the state of Florida State's football team after last weekend against Georgia Tech, or the previous weekend against Georgia Tech, it may not be the worst thing. I mean, if if it gets pushed back into that that October bye week, uh, we were talking about may have a good chance at having a little bit better or healthier team, maybe a new quarterback. Um, but I mean, it's n- never a positive for your coach to get sick. Certainly isn't a positive for the anybody to come back positive in the quarantine era of COVID-19. One, what does this do for Florida State's play calling? Um, Coach Norvell is the offensive coordinator, even though the title does uh, belong to Dillingham. Um, Chris Thompson, deputy head coach, has been named the interim head coach for the game. And he's got some, I think, some play calling background with his several years of experience. But my thought is that it's going to, it's going to rely on Dillingham who though he's been offensive coordinator at Auburn and, and some other stops has never actually been the de facto, de facto offensive play caller. Well, um, like you said, he's never been the play caller. That being said, you know, one thing that we saw in previous years, which under Jimbo Fisher, who was obviously the main play caller in his time at Florida state, he would have other coaches, uh, Damien Craig, James Coley, at times they had had opportunities during games to play, uh, to do some play calling. Uh, I don't know if Dillingham ever had that chance under, under um, Norvell at Memphis or under Malzahn at Auburn. But I think one thing that you, you will probably see is that the play calling style will be fairly similar. Um, you know, obviously they're not going to start pulling out a completely different playbook and pl- running different plays. They have a playbook, they have their existing plays and it's probably realistically limited anyway given the state of you know the limited install as we've discussed before um but i think you're more than likely going to see a somewhat similar style maybe a little bit more vanilla not not necessarily in the way that they call the game um but in the way that those plays flow uh one thing that really good play callers like a jimbo fisher or mike norvell are able to do is set you up for for a counter two quarters in advance you know they they they'll run a play to see how you react to it, and then they'll 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 come back later with a play that counters that. Um, and w- that's one thing we saw. Rhett Lashley, who was an offensive coordinator uh, under Gus Malzahn, he did quite well for Miami uh, this past weekend. So it remains to be seen. It's a it's a it's a question mark to me. I mean, you know, it's just an unknown. You don't really have a good feel for it because you've never seen him call a play before. Yeah, it really is kind of worst case scenario for Florida State right now, walking into this uh, this this game against Miami well, with Norvell out, with uh, the struggling offense, with such a limited window of uh, time frame to install their offenses and defenses. 
and Miami's clicking. I mean, they, they put up some good numbers against uh, a pretty decent Louisville team. Um, so I, I think it, I think the Florida State is unfortunately uh, in for a very rough game on Saturday. And I think another thing worth mentioning is the, the positive here is that they were able to get the bye week in. And that's really, you know, when, when you have a game week, you don't have a lot of time to work on install on fundamentals. You know, you've you, in, in previous years from both Florida state coaches and other coaches, you hear them talk about, yeah, we worked on putting in new packages or we worked on our tackling our fundamentals. You know, usually you hear them talking about tackling in a bye week when you've had a really bad defensive game the previous week. But I mean, it, it is the truth. You get, you get the time to work in a bye week on those fundamentals, those installation type things. And hopefully a little bit of that will carry over um, during the game week. You know, not, not much is going to change. You know, Mike Norvell isn't going to be the guy leading practice, but practices are largely scripted. He's going to be involved with that. Um, he'll be available to be in, in all the meetings via zoom, which is not ideal of course, but um, you know, it's, it's going to be those two hours a day of, of practice where he's not going to have the hands-on work with quarterbacks, with wide receivers. That's going to be missed during the game week practice. And, you know, it's it is what it is i mean you can't really can't can't change it so right um i, I know that norvell is going to be out on, on the media availability a little bit this week we'll, we'll talk we'll talk about that after our interview uh but we did go pretty long with cam from the state of the youth so we wanted to go ahead and get that uh interview set up and allow um allow our listeners to really get a taste of miami so at this time we're going to go with cam underwood from state of the youth Joining us now is Cam Underwood from the Miami SB Nation site, State of the U. Cam, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for, you know, reaching out to have me. I know we're uh, at the beginning of Rivalry Week, and uh, I have this microphone and this voice, so I love to, you know, talk about the Miami Hurricanes. So I figure, <laughs> you know, we'll go behind some enemy lines and talk to you guys. Yeah, we're, we're excited. Um, you know, our podcast is about a month old now, and just being able to reach out and talk to all the different members of the SB Nation sites, getting their points of view, getting their education. We talked to a member of Georgia Tech's site, and we weren't expecting to uh, to lose that game, so we were real excited about talking to him. So, but we kind of know what we're walking into with you, with the way the uh, the way our team looks so far. But Tell me a little bit about State of the U and, and what you guys do over there and, and just uh, if our readers were to go over there, what they can expect. Yeah, you know, well, we just are Miami football-centric and focused, but, you know, we do touch on the other sports as well. Uh, basketball during basketball season, women's basketball, because the women's basketball team has been very good as well, uh, and reaching into some of the, uh, <clears throat> you know, the other Olympic sports, if you will, uh, you know, to give, uh, you know, some weekly recaps and things like that. Obviously, we did have the national champion in women's singles tennis. Uh, you know, we had uh, a young lady commit to the track team uh, who was very close friends with Kevin Hart, <laughs> um, would, yeah, exactly. Like, just, huh, what? Yeah. <laughs> Deanna Noling is her name uh, from California. Uh, and it just popped up on the timeline because Kevin Hart tweeted out the video of her commitment to Miami track a couple years ago. Uh, so obviously we're there about that. And we try to, you know, touch on everything. But uh, yeah, obviously, you know, football is the number one, uh, you know, for, for us and for our fans as well. But we do try to, you know, just be uh, 360 degrees there uh, as much as possible. So 
uh, just you know with top level commentary and analysis we have a great uh great staff of contributors there uh probably one of the larger ones around sb nation just because we have so many people who wanted a uh, an opportunity and just with my sensibility formerly being a teacher you know just to give people a platform to say okay you know like hey maybe you don't get a shot everywhere you know like you're not going to go to sports illustrator you're not going to go to espn uh and have uh, a space to maybe spread your wings and share your voice but you know it's state of the you that's what we offer people and then uh we've been <clears throat> a very good uh kind of training ground uh you know for our minor leagues if you will for people who have gone on to jobs in uh you know with large media companies i think the count right now uh, since i've been with uh, as with uh, state of the you since 2011 is i think we're up to like 18 or 19 people who have uh, contributed for us and then left for uh, you know full-time media jobs elsewhere uh with all kinds of different uh, outlets so you know, I think we uh, we offer that opportunity, uh, you know, so with uh, some good training wheels, some good coaching, but also, uh, you know, just we do have really good content as well. So don't think that it's just, okay, you know, students who can't spell or something like that. Uh, you know, we do have a variety of things uh, there on the website. So, you know, I urge you to come fan with us over there. It's stateoftheview.com. And if you're uh, on social, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, we're at the State of the U. Um, and if you want to hear my takes on football, but also HGTV shows and um below deck and things like that my personal twitter account is at underwood sports that's awesome I, I i was unaware of the success that you guys have had with some of the writers so really good glimpse behind the curtain of what you guys are doing over there and i encourage our readers to to be uh to be friendly go over there and, and check out what they're doing and, uh, and especially do this week because you know we have made it a like our central focus to own moments and that's from just you know the sb nation culture from years so you know every week every year that we play florida state we have a story stream up we have extra content we look at things from even more angles than we normally would uh, it's pinned as the number one uh thing on our website right there on the front page so you just click there and see all the things that we're doing including you know this podcast uh we'll put that up there but yeah we have a lot a lot of things you know because this game is different than most games so we treat it differently uh and i think that uh your readers and our readers and pretty much any readers uh who are interested in football and rivalry games and things like that would appreciate it there's a reason why uh uh every year going back to jimbo fisher going back to willie taggart going back to bobby bowden you know there's only one week a year that a certain that a hurt Came flags raised at the at the practice facility. It's this game means more to me and a, a lot of other folks, especially me being down in South Florida. Miami FSU is as big as it gets. I mean, you know, as far as rivalry games go, so we're excited for it. Yeah, I mean, and I used to when I was in college at Miami. I was, uh, you know, if you've seen the uh, the practice fields and everything, there's the wellness center right there, and then there's two like tower dorms that are right there. Uh, one of them is right next to the intramural field, Stanford Residential College. And that's where I lived for all four and a half years that I was in college. So every time that they started practice from when they hit the facility, they turned the volume up to 57 on that god darn chant. <laughs> you know what I mean? And if I had an eight o'clock music theory class, I'm getting up at whatever time or right, you know, if I'm sprinting over there, maybe a couple minutes late, I see I'm like, like just, I mean, over and over and over again. So I mean, even look, the teams look at it differently. We look at it differently, you know, so we're doing these kind of things. This is a oh. music person that was just like, oh, I know the exact notes oh of my this God, music yeah. like that I, is just like <laughs> strangling my brain. And honestly, like in music, one of my greatest gifts is being able to transcribe things. So being able to hear it and then write it down or, or like figure it out what the actual notes are very quickly. Uh, when I worked at Miramar High School, the band director would come over to my, because I was the choir director. So we'd come next door and be like, oh, I need the arrangement of 
whatever. I need it for for the band, like really, like right now in the middle of practice. So I would like stop my practice, say, okay, do this. And I'd go to the piano real quick. Okay, so play real quick. Bomb. Okay, these are the notes. So we're gonna concert that. Boom. Like that's one of my gifts in like my best gifts in music. And unfortunately, I had to be forced to use that with the Seminole War chant, and I hate it. <laughs> and it was like an angry rooster waking you up every day during Florida State Week. In college. Exactly. And we got an angry rooster that's gonna wake y'all up during Florida State Week. Yeah, you see how I did that. There. Well done. Nervous laughter. <laughs> well, let's let's uh, let's jump right into Miami. So uh, we're we are in Manny year two. Yep. Um, what is Manny doing different than? the previous his predecessors the most recent predecessors obviously and where is he finding success he's not staying safe or being comfortable in that seat and when you push for or search for greatness it comes with a feeling of uncomfortability that's what change is change is uncomfortable if you're going to the gym to like get stronger your muscles hurt afterwards. That's uncomfortable. If you're trying to lose this weight, so you're eating differently or you know, a different amount or different time, you you're, you will feel uncomfortable because like I'm hungry and I feel that you know these things. You know, when it, if you remember when you had a growth spurt, you know, the bones it it hurts. You know, like around your joints, like you know when you're going through puberty and things like that, it hurts because you're going through change, and you have to lean into that and. With all of the previ- the predecessors, so if you're looking back to Randy Shannon and Al Golden, uh, Mark Richt, all of those coaches were very comfortable in who they were and what they did. And I think overly so. And there was something, there was a fatal flaw in the foundation of their program, in their process, that they refused to update. Because, well, I'm me, I'm Randy Shannon, and this is the way that I do things, and I'm comfortable in doing that. I'm Al Golden, and I'm comfortable doing this. I'm Mark Richt, and I'm comfortable doing this. Manny Diaz knew after the offensive showing last year, if he were comfortable with that, he would be out of a job this year. So he did what needed to be done and got rid of some guys on the offensive side of the ball, Dan Enos. Um, What's his name? I don't even remember the offensive line coach uh, that was with him uh, who had worked with Butch Berry, uh, who had worked with him previously at Central Michigan. Gone. Bye. See ya. And then you bring in Rob Likens from Arizona State, who's coached two first-round draft picks the last two years uh, as an offensive coordinator, wide receivers coach, and has worked in spread offenses his entire career. You bring in Rhett Lashley, who uh, one of our contributors, uh, Roman Marcianti, said that was his number one pick as soon as we saw what, you know, what the offense looked like. And I'm a person who just, even before I started blogging, I've been wanting Miami to run a spread offense since forever because that's what we do down here. That's what, that's the talent. That's the talent base that's on this roster. And many ideas leaned into that. So that being comfortable in discomfort towards change, that's the biggest thing. Okay. And so even when he was defensive coordinator, the defense has been, top 15, you know, borderline championship caliber. Now, I'm not saying they're going to win by themselves, but that kind of defense you can have on a championship level team, whether you're going for a coastal division, ACC championship, national championship, or contending for them at least, that's the kind of defense that you need to have. So you leave that settled. You bring in your uh, the guy who uh, succeeded you at Louisiana Tech to now run it up here. So he had the career all-time leading sack, uh, sacker Jalen Ferguson at Louisiana Tech. Um, and then you say, okay, you've cut your teeth, you followed me there, and now follow me here to the seat at Miami, run the defense in the same way that we run defense to lead that. 
and I'm going to find you an offense. Last year it didn't work. I'm going to go quickly to find you an offense that will work. And going and not settling for, oh, this is just the way that I do things is great. And I think that, honestly, the fact that he was only a first-year head coach last year gave him that flexibility. He wasn't he didn't have that name. It wasn't Bobby Bowden in year 30. It wasn't Mark Richt in year, what, 22 as a head coach. You know what I mean? They're not going to change that kind of stuff. But Manny Diaz had to, and I think that that's born fruit for Miami, at least through two games. I feel like a lot of that really comes from Manny Diaz is a Miami guy at heart. I mean, obviously, he went to Florida State. He coached Florida State. He followed uh, Florida State legend coach Chuck Amato to NC State. Ended up coaching for Rick Stock still at, at Middle Tennessee State. You know, he's got a lot of ties to Florida State, obviously. It's where you got to start. Um, but like you said, I mean, he's more more uh, more like a Miami driver. He's going to be sprinting around, flying around, changing lanes without his blinkers on, and just trying to you know go 100 miles an hour the whole time. Where it seems like you know Mark Richt, Al Golden, they were more your typical Palm Beach County, Broward County driver with their their blinker on in the left hand lane, going 30 miles an hour, not willing <laughs> to make that change. I mean, is that a fair sort of thing? Like Manny being more Miami probably has a little bit of a factor in that. I think he just fits more. Yeah. You know, um, culturally, he seems like he fits more. I mean, he just, he looks like a dude you'd see in Miami. He looks kind of like my father-in-law. Right. No, totally. Totally. You know, I'm like Manuel Diaz from like Miami. Like, yeah, absolutely. You know? Uh, And, you know, I think that those other coaches, they were good for, they were good for taking Miami part of the way or changing the direction but they were not the rebuild and succeed and fly person. You know, Al Golden got blindsided by the NCAA uh, railroading of Miami, you know, for the Nevin Shapiro situation, all of that. So we needed to kind of set the baseline, clean up the, you know, frayed ends of the program and things like that. And he was very good for that. Now, some of the on-field stuff, Obviously, performance on defense wasn't, and you know, look, you're going to sacrifice some of that, you know, for the greater good of resetting the direction of the program. I cannot fault him for that. I can fault him for not winning games, but he served that purpose. Then you bring in Mark Rick. Well, now we're going to kick that ball down the road a little bit further. We're going to now, you know, get back to really recruiting at a higher level. Uh, even though, again, even through Al Golden, Miami recruited plenty well. You know, and like his offenses were great. So you figure, okay, you know, maybe the offense is going to be good. And then Mark Rick wanted to be super uber conservative on offense. And that's just not going to get it done. But you bring in Manny Diaz defense and now we're playing with our hair on fire. So we've raised the level. We got to an ACC championship game for the first time. Remember, we had a 10 win season for the first time since 2005. We had all these things, which is, okay, steps up the ladder towards where you want to be. And they were good for that. You're getting to a point now where it needs to now be consistent to that high level of winning and then at least pushing towards the glass ceiling of right now, because, you know, we're in the ACC, Clemson. But it needs to be really closing, and it's a massive – I mean, my, I'm trying to show it on Zoom, but my hands are so far apart you can't even see it. It's a massive gap between Clemson and everybody else. But you have to do the job now of shortening that gap and – Hopefully, Manny Diaz is the one who can like shorten it and then even it and maybe even push past it. I don't know if he can do all of those things because that's a really heavy lift. But again, I, while there were failures with the other coaches, they did at least something to put this program in, in a direction towards what we've seen today. 
So let's focus on the changes he made on offense. So let's look at Rhett Lashley and what Miami's now doing this year on offense. Obviously, they got Derek King in there, but that's not the whole story. Talk about what Rhett Lashley's doing there. Uh, what's the formations they're running? What What is the base offense that you're going to see Miami uh, uh, send out there on Saturday? I mean, <clears throat> the main thing is just giving and finding space for offensive skill players. You know, not just trying to be – Wisconsin without Wisconsin-sized offensive line, you know, because we saw that from Al Golden. Um, even though, again, Al Golden's offense has still put up numbers, so maybe that's not fair for him. Uh, it's more for uh, a Mark Richt. You know, we're just going to run inside zone with a quarterback who cannot keep it or refuses to keep it or was coached not to keep it, and then it's like, okay, cool. Well, it's RPO. No, it's not it, because the quarterback run element is not there, and that's a necessary component. So you're going to see a lot of RPOs. You're going to see a lot of – uh, you know, 11 personnel, so one back, one tight. You're going to see some 12 personnel because we have two of the better tight ends in America and, uh, well, the best tight end in America in Brevin Jordan and then Will Mallory, who's very darn good and going to make a name for himself on Sundays as well. So it can even look like it's, you know, uh, it can look like 11, so one back, one tight, but Brevin Jordan's actually in the slot and then that's your 12. So we, and we saw that a lot. So you're going to see, uh, you know, formationally two by one receivers. You're going to see uh, trips, um, <clears throat> you know, with the offset running back uh, and things. Uh, our guys, Justin Dottavio is really strong on X's and O's. I've, I've queued up his uh, film review where he's talking about some of that from this week. Uh, and also we've had multiple offensive uh, explainers from him. And then Roman uh, Marcianti, again, he's a quarterback guy. Uh, so he has quarterback pieces, but then he also was uh, doing his um, <clears throat> video recaps. So we have two different X's and O's recaps for you coming off of last week. Uh, and then he was talking about, yeah, you know, those two touchdowns that Louisville gave up on the first two offensive snaps in the second half for 150 yards combined. Basically, they said, if you go, if Miami went trips open on the field side, they're going to play man-free, cover zero, all day. And actually, that was three touchdowns because you saw the 75-yard run because there's nobody on that right sideline because everybody had gone to the offense's left. You saw the wheel route to Rooster. That's Jalen Knighton, for those who are uninitiated. But you guys should know because he was committed to Florida State for a while. Yep. Um, uh. And so that wheel route to him, they ran the same look with the orbit motion, and they motioned to the trips on the field side. And so you're playing man-free cover zero with the play action. Now everybody's looking at Derek King to try to have him not run. Boop, we got a real fast guy, arguably the fastest guy on the field at the 40-yard line with nothing in front of him but green grass and opportunity. Cool. And then the last touchdown to Brevin Jordan, they were in trips to the field side and they still didn't align on that side now. So they're saying, okay, wait, wait, wait. We gave up two to our defensive left, offense is right. So we're going to go here. But then they're like, okay, you got two defenders for three guys over here? Cool. We're just going to run a seam route because you don't have anybody over the best tight end in America. He's going to be butt naked wide open at the 25-yard line. He can do backflips and cartwheels into the end zone. So those are things we'll, where you'll see. And – you know, there's other wrinkles as well. Uh, and those guys know X's and O's better than I, so you'll see some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, obviously this offense has malleability as well because last week against UAB, we ran for 337. This week against Louisville, we threw for 325. You know, so it has the equal dexterity to be able to throw it or run it. Uh, and obviously we were a little frustrated with the opener just because it's like, we got this brand new toy and I want to see it at full optimization. I want to see all of the tricks, all of the details, all of the features 
And we're like, look, we're going to run the ball. We're going to run the same three or four or five running plays. And we're going to beat a good UAB team by three scores. Yeah, but like I wanted to see the yeah, the flash and they and look, we broke it out this week. So, you know, there there's a lot going on, but you know, formationally, yeah, you're gonna see two by one uh receivers or trips. You're gonna see, you know, shotgun. I think we've run one play under center all year. So it's usually gonna be shotgunners or pistol. Um, and then you also have to have the added component, like I said, of playing where's the tight end because we have two of them that can be in line, H back, you know, separated in as uh as the sole wide receiver separated as the slot, uh, you know, they can be the inside slot in the trips. They can be the middle slot in the trips, which is how uh, Brevin Jordan scored that last touchdown. So, yeah, you really got to find, you know, where are the tight ends because that's a thing that will affect, you know, what we're doing schematically as well. With De'Aaron King coming over, he's mm-hmm. obviously helping the offense really click. How much success would Miami be having this year if they had not been able to secure his transfer? I think that there would be success. I don't think it would be this level of success. Um, and, you know, again, maybe I'm a little biased, but I've been the president of the Nicosi Perry fan club since his junior year in high school. So we're going on six years now. Um, he's a record-setting quarterback from Ocala Vanguard. He shattered all the records that were previously set by NFL MVP one time, Dante Culpepper. This is a guy who should have always been in a spread offense. When we came back against you guys in 2018, they, wait, 18, 9, yeah. yeah. 17 was the last second. Seven, 18 yeah, was seven, the yeah, comeback. Right, right. 19 right, right. was you guys blissfully releasing Florida State from Willie Tiger. Okay, yeah, just just making sure <laughs> uh, there. But, yeah, that, that 2018 game when he came in, look, he said, chuck it up there. We're going to go, you know, trips or four wide, and, you know, we're going to go at tempo. We're going to do these things. We're going to go quick reads. And, look, Nicosi Perry has a cannon for an arm. So, if we got to push it vertically – okay, like I got a howitzer strapped to my shoulder. We can do that. So I think that some of the things that we want to do offensively better fit his skill set than things we've seen. Um, But with the ability to run, which Nikosi Perry has, the singular ability to run that De'Aaron King has is different. You know, that kind of half double spin or that double half spin, whatever. I don't even know how to classify it against UAB where he half spun one way and he started climbing the pocket and then there's a guy and then he half spun the other way and kind of snaked out. Nicholas Perry doesn't make that play, you know. Very I mean, he makes do. some plays. He runs and he can run very well, but he doesn't make that play. The touchdown run that Derek King had in the opener, mm, Nikosi probably gets some yards. I don't know that he makes that play. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a thing where there's just levels to it. And I think that – Derek King being here, he takes the offense to a higher level of optimization than we would have had with, you know, whoever it would have been uh, running the, the show. But I think it still would have been more positive than negative as opposed to what we saw next, last year. Yeah, I mean, and obviously De'Ara King is someone that's been in the, the headlines for, for Miami as, as the offseason came through. He was someone that obviously Florida State fans thought for a while we were going to be getting when we still had Kendall Bryles around. And then you whooped us last year and we lost that whole staff. Um, but I think what, the one thing to me is, as someone who does a lot of the film review type stuff for Tomahawk Nation that's sort of scary is the combination of, like you said, the malleability of the Rhett Lashley offense – with some of the personnel. I mean, you're talking about those 12 sets. I mean, like you said, Brevin Jordan, he's anywhere on the field and he, he's going to create a matchup problem no matter who he's up against. I mean, he's yep. a guy who can, you know, even if, let's put it this way, Jalen Ramsey or Der, Derwin James, if they were still on the field, that would be the 
marquee matchup of the game because he's just a guy who's dynamic enough to go against a first round type draft pick. I mean, he's, and then on top of that, like you said, they were able to see, okay, Louisville's going to be doing this. You know, this is their tendencies. Here's a quick tendency breaker and boom, pop out a 75 yard play. So Florida state, has has quite a lot of work cut out for them as as a defensive team here, especially as we if we we seem to be of the opinion so far that we don't have much of an install put in yet um, on both sides of the ball, but in, in defense as well. Um, we're still spe- seeing some spot drop zone. You know, we're expecting this to be a man match zone based t- defense, and we're not at that point yet. They're just you know, having only three of fifteen spring practices, they weren't able to get to that point. So basically knowing that you're going to be going up against a Florida state defense that is more simple than what you normally see. Uh, how excited are you to watch Miami's offense <laughs> against that? Very, I am, you know, I last year was excited for it. Um, and I think that the Florida state game was one of the high watermarks offensively. And we still left plenty of points on that field last year. I mean, there were just, there were plays to be had, you know, and it was, it was frustrating for me, because I'm like, we saw the glimpses of that during the game and wouldn't go back to it. And finally, finally, when they said, look, we're going to go up top. Jeff Thomas, you can't check him. D. Wiggins, even. You, the, the famous picture of, you know, Stanford Samuels and uh, who was the other one? I forget. Um, looking at each other like, wait, I thought you had, what? you know, like, but you had, it was there to have. And 27 points we should honestly should have hit y'all with a 40 burger last year because we had we had at least two more touchdowns at least two more touchdowns and we just left those on the field so for this year we have the same if not better talent we have an offensive line that is improving and has a scheme that is doing more favors for them than uh last year which kind of left them on an island by themselves um and yeah just skill talent everywhere and these freshmen, oh, I mean, these freshmen are great. You see, you know, Don Chaney and Jalen Knighton, they're running back. They're playing a lot. We haven't even gotten to the Xavier Restrepo's and uh, Keyshawn Smith's and Michael Redding the thirds of the world. Michael Redding the third, another guy who you guys recruited. Um, you know, Xavier Restrepo, another guy you guys recruited from Deerfield Beach, who was teammates with Jalen Knighton when he was committed to Florida State. You know, things like that. I mean, there's, there's talent everywhere. And, I mean, look. I get it where, you know, there might be some of that FSU fan bravado, like, oh, yeah, okay, well, it's going to be different. But, like, you know, or you guys have this midget quarterback who can't do anything. Like, y'all lost to Malik Rogier, who was average at best. You lost to Nikosi Perry, who was very talented but inconsistent as can be. And then you lost to Jaron Williams, who was so bad at the end of last year, he's at Dodge City Community College. So what makes you think that a guy who's thrown for 5,000 yards in his career, run for 1,800 in his college career, is going to do less? You know what I mean? Like, I, it, I want it. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. But, you know, obviously Heart. we need to be cautiously optimistic too. Heart and the r- passion of the game will overcome I, all. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. Um, I don't think you're going to find that normal bravado <laughs> here at least. You know, we're, gonna, we're trying to be realistic here. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, last year, you know, Miami scored 27 points and, and ended up winning by 17, which I, I, w- I went and looked back and I found the stats on this, and it was actually sort of surprising. Um, it was the first time that Miami had won by three scores in the series since 2001. 
yep. which obviously was a big national championship year, Miami's best team ever, one of the best college football teams ever. Before that, do you know when the last time Miami had, had, had won by three scores in Miami was? It was before I was a fan because I grew up in Detroit and I didn't become a fan until 2000, my freshman year. So it was, it was, I don't know. It was before my fandom for Miami. So I have no idea. 1988, the year of the Seminole rap. And, uh, <laughs> and you're, here you are today on the Seminole rap podcast. Full circle. Got it. Full circle. Okay. That was <laughs> also the year that we went to that... Michigan in law or one. Sorry. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think uh, you're more than likely going to see more than a 17 point uh, victory here, but uh, we'll get, we'll save that part for the predictions. All right. So Cam, you mentioned the offensive line, uh, Florida state fans, I think just kind of have a, a glutton for, for punishment, wanting to know what the other team's offensive tackles look like, because we, we haven't seen one for a while. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we know Jalen Knight. We know, we know Harris. We know Brevin Jordan all too well. Uh, De'Ara King, obviously. But to talk about the offensive line there, I keep saying talk about. Sorry about that. But uh, who's the offensive tackles? Um, what's the impact that they can have on a game? Is there any advantage that Florida State can get against that offensive line? From left to right, you have John Campbell at left tackle. You have uh, – oh, it's switched. It used to be Osman Traor, and then it's now uh, Ja'Kai Clark uh, at left guard. You have Corey Gaynor at center. DJ Scaife uh, has bumped inside from tackle to right guard. And then you have Jared Williams, who's transferred over also from Houston, uh, had previously uh, blocked for De'Ara King, and he's doing that again this year. So that's your five starting up front. Um, you know, I think that there are things that you can do uh, against this offensive line because we've seen it happen, you know, against UAB. They got some pressure up the field. Louisville got some pressure up the field as well. Um, I don't know if it's going to be consistent. Um, but, yeah, you know, if you, if you really bully them, they can, they, can, they can bend to that sometimes. Um, obviously, if you have really complex pressures or blitz kind of things because they're still kind of learning uh, how to play together. And sometimes that'll be a thing where it's like, oh, no, I thought you said, yeah, but you, you know, one of kind of those things. So, uh, I mean, and there is talent, you know, that you guys have, you know, Big Marv, uh, you know, Josh Kando, uh, you know, things like, or guys like that. So um, those guys are going to have to make plays uh, and really just kind of win their individual matchups. But, um, you know, Miami's offensive line is developing. They're better, I think, in run blocking than pass protection right now. But that's kind of standard, I think, uh, especially from where we were because we were just a turnstile last year in terms of pass pro. I mean, you saw the 10 sacks that we allowed to Florida last year in the opener. If we, you know, cut that in half and give up only five, we win that game. You know what I mean? So uh, still some of those issues and things like that. Um, don't have the biggest running backs in the world. So, you know, if they're stepping up uh, in blitz protection, um, maybe that's a, a area where you could have some success. Uh, excuse me, DJ Dallas was a bigger back. You know, he was almost six feet tall, 225. So, and he was rock solid. So was Travis Homer, the last two starting running backs. Rock solid in, in blitz pickup, uh, pass pro. So, you know, if you got there, it was, it was a brick wall. You know, Cam Harris, he's rocked up. You know, he's very muscular and things like that. But behind him, Don Chaney is very physical, but I don't know that he has that dex or that skill yet uh, to use his size in that kind of a way. And Jalen Knighton is just somebody that we're not going to put in pass pro because that's not his ministry right now. He's fast and we need to put him in space to be fast. So, I mean, yeah, if you maybe if you twist 
maybe if you are able to time up the snap count and really get that good speed rush, um, you know, things like that. There are ways to combat Miami's offensive line right now. Uh, but again, in the run game, that's where they've been most successful. So it'll be interesting to see what happens from uh, maybe the second unit or second level of linebackers uh, coming up in, uh, you know, run fills and gap fits to see, uh, you know, to go against the offensive line and run situations. So before we jump to the defense, the one thing that stood out in Florida State's game against Georgia Tech is they really struggled uh, getting any pressure at all on Jeff Sims. And one of the things we kind of picked apart there was that Georgia Tech was very content with just doing like two-step quick drops, um, get the ball out in two seconds. So even if Florida State was penetrating, there's no way they were going to get to Sims in time. The ball was already out of his hands. Um, and, and they were very fine just to pick it down the field and, and make Florida State stop them. Uh, what kind of drops will you see for Miami and, and um, the timing? It's funny because they mentioned that they showed a little kind of cut up about that on the, uh, the, the ABC broadcast yesterday. Um, there have been times when the ball comes out quick with Miami. You know, uh, if you're going that stacked uh, two receivers at the boundary or kind of doing that trips thing where you can uh, switch your switch two of those receivers, have somebody step back for that kind of quick screen, and then you just kind of use the blocking, uh, things like that. Um, so, yeah, the ball got out of D.R. King's hands, uh, you know, in under two seconds a few couple times. So you're going to see some quick game uh, there. You're going to see, you know, some RPO slants, which are going to be quicker than, uh, you know, a, you know, a five-step drop from shotgun. So it's going to be a mix. And I think that that mix is going to be a thing where um, that's going to be what kind of pumps the brakes on the pass rush. Because I don't know if, okay, if they're throwing out quickly to the boundary or something like that, then I'm not going to, it's going to be, okay, okay, let me go run, you know, things like that. So if now we're going and we're trying to have a play action pass that is a long developing play, Hopefully it's in their heads a little bit of the defenders where it's like, okay, I'm going to be running to the sideline 20 yards. Away. Oh, wait, no, he's dropped. And then, you know, you keep going up the field and hopefully that little pause and hesitation gives a little bit of an advantage to the offensive line. But yeah, you're going to see a multitude of drops, but it's all going to be, like I said, we've run one play under center all year out of the, let me see, we ran 58 and 78. So that's 86. So like 120 ish plays. Um, one of them has been under center. So it's all going to be from shotgun. Mostly, you know, that kind of quick in-place drop, maybe a little extra two or three step from the shotgun set uh, if you're really trying to push it vertical. Okay. That, that was more kind of my own personal wondering there. Uh, no worries. Florida State really struggled last week with any type of pressure. So going to the defensive side of the ball, uh, what kind of formations should Florida State fans expect to see? What's the style of play? Obviously, when I think of Miami and I think of Manny Diaz, I think of very aggressive uh, blitzes and tons of pressure, but uh, go ahead and take take that uh, and, and break that down for us. Yeah, I mean, four down linemen. Um, it's really kind of a four three four two five, you know, and you can kind of it depends on how you want to classify that striker position at the second level. Uh, if you want to call it star buck, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Like it's that third guy at the second level who's you know, it could be a linebacker, it could be a safety, uh, you know, that. So, I mean, you're really going to see that. And obviously, you're going to have to – defense is more reactionary. So, you're going to have to kind of react to what the personal groupings and alignments are. But, yeah, usually you're going to see four down linemen, 
three people at the second level, two backers and a striker. Striker's the one who's going to walk out over the number two in the slot if it's, you know, if you're going to the field side, so you're talking about 30 yards laterally. Uh, you know, if you have a receiver lined up at the numbers and then another one at the hash on the far side, so way detached from the line, that's usually where your striker's going to walk out if you don't have an actual dedicated uh, second defensive, uh, defensive back right up close there. Um, and yeah, we're going to get up the field, you know, like that's the, you know, we're playing a, usually uh, across the line, one gap technique, pick your gap or you know, assign your gap and get there, you know, and we will scheme it so that there's somebody behind you or somebody covering the other gap. Cause if you're in the A gap, or if you're in the B gap, you know, whatever on uh, whatever play, you just need to worry about that gap. If you get there, great. If you don't, then there's somebody assigned to another gap or there's somebody coming behind you because you've occupied your alignment. Um, and we've seen that across, you know, many, many years of, you know, just, you know, in a 12, 13 game season, 115 tackles for loss or more. You know what I mean? Like we just get up the field and we get after it. We have an offense, our defensive line that's going to pass rush like demons and monsters all day long because we got a bunch of those dudes. I mean, we can, honestly sub out our two deep on defensive line and they could, I mean, the number two defensive line would probably start in a lot of places. You know, I mean, you have Quincy Roche and Jalen uh, Phillips at defensive end on the first team defensive line. Both of those guys have NFL caliber. Uh, Quincy Roche was the AAC defensive player of the year last year. Jalen Phillips was the number one overall recruit in the 2017 recruiting class in America. You know what I mean? Like the list started with him and then it went to everybody else. Bro, come on now. Uh, you got Nessa Silvera finally really breaking out at defensive tackle next to John Ford, who's our biggest physical guy at 6'5", 320. Uh, but he looks svelte and thin at that size. He's just a big dude. You know, but behind him, you got Jared Harrison Hunt, who's a redshirt freshman. He's balling out. You got, you know, other guys, defensive tackle. Jordan Miller as well. He's playing well. You got Cam, great name, Williams at defensive end, and he looks like he's going to be the next great one. You got Jafari Harvey, who arguably is more athletic than Jalen Phillips, who's doing standing backflips at 6'6", 265, and Gregory Russo, who's not even here anymore because he opted out of the season. And everybody said that Jafari, Jafari, Jafari Harvey, because his, his aunt sent like anybody associated with Miami media an uh, email and said, no, you're saying his name wrong. It's Jafari, like Rastafari. I said, okay, cool, fine, auntie, we get it. So Jafari Harvey might be the most athletic player at defensive end on our roster. And the you know best what I mean? Latin character as well. Say again? And the best Latin character. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> so uh, in the secondary, um, I know last week against Georgia Tech, that was probably their best position group for okay. Miami. Who's the best position group in their defense? Most people are going to say defensive end, and we did this in our roundtable before the season. Most people say defensive end. I personally say safety because we have three NFL players right now in Amari Carter, Bubba Bolden, and oh. Gervin Hall, and then we got additional depth and talent behind them. Avante Williams last year is number two overall safety. He's uh, redshirting with a medical issue, but he'll be fine uh, to come back and play next year. But you have Brian Balaam from Miramar High School. Quick aside, my last year teaching at Miramar High School, Brian Balaam was in my study hall class, and we talked as a high school sophomore about the fact he said, oh, because <clears throat> I gave a little background about myself. I said, yeah, I went to the University of Miami, blah, 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 and his eyes got big. He said, wait, you – I'm like, I'm like, yeah. So we talked about that. And I had previously taught his brother uh, years before. I know the family and everything. So seeing him realize that dream just did my heart good. But 
there's also a kid who was balling out and has been singled out by the coaches as, you know, being a guy who can play here. And most people look to him as the other guy at safety in this last recruiting class, but he's performing the best right now and only getting better. You have Jalen Harrell from Champagnat, a three-time uh, state champion, who's a big dude back there. You know, we got James Williams committed in this class, the number four overall player in America. We also have, um, Cameron Kitchens from Miami Northwestern, who some people say is the best safety in South Florida, James Williams inclusive in the, you know, so like we got three NFL players. We have uh, at the top of the rotation, other guys who should be NFL players and two of the best safeties in America committed in this current recruiting class. To me, the best position and the best performance is at safety. And if you look back at the good, the bad and the ugly from yesterday, I pointed out something about Bubba Bolden, who I think is the number one safety and should really probably not come off the field. But, you know, if you have, two of those three of Carter, Bolden, and Hall, or all three on the field, you're doing something right. There were two plays last night where Bubba Bolden made tackles on literally opposite sidelines in consecutive plays. They went to the offense's left. They threw a quick out or something. He made a tackle on the defense's right all the way on the sideline. They get back and they get set. They ran a swing pass or a run or something to the other side. The offense is right, defense is left. And he made the tackle that next play on the other sideline. So if you talk about covering the entire field, 53 and a half yards, sideline to sideline in consecutive plays, and he got there, he wasn't a half step slow. He wasn't breathing hard and everything, but he impacted the game literally everywhere that you could from sideline to sideline in consecutive plays. That's number 21 at safety. And that's why I'm saying that's the best position group on the team. And, uh, you know, one thing that I want to point out about that position group is that you said there's three NFL caliber safeties um, and that when two of them are on the field, you're going to be good. There should only be two of them on the field, right? I mean, come on. Amari Carter should have got that targeting penalty. Uh, look, <laughs> honestly, I don't know because my cable internet died, like died, died for eight minutes. And that happened to happen in those eight minutes. So it didn't record on my DVR. I saw like the, you know, the tweet that Miami put up. And I'm like, that just looks like a big hit to me. But like, in, but it was kind of slowed down. So I'm like, I didn't get the feel of the play. And so I have not to this moment, I have not seen it in real time. But we have joked and said that Amari Carter was going to spend some time in the locker room because I mean, he's just a big dude and he hits like a Mack truck. So even a legal hit looks like that. But I, you know, I know that you're trying to troll me, but like if you're being for real about it, I'm not. You might be right. I don't know, honestly. No, honestly, uh, it was it was a clean hit. I mean, and okay. and Florida State fans are very used to having their defensive backs get uh get thrown out. Like uh, Trey Marshall, who graduated I think two years ago now, he was a guy that got thrown out probably every other game. It felt like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So Amari Carter is one of those guys that I, I I'm. <laughs> Imagine uh, it's going to be doling out plenty of punishment to Florida State's receivers. Yeah, Amari, Carter's, Amari Carter's flags that get taken away are just because he hits too hard. It's whatever. I'm scared of you. You can keep that. <laughs> well, I mean, but the thing about it is, like, that one got picked up, but he's also sat out some time in his career because they haven't gotten picked up for something similar. So that's why I'm like, I, I right. don't know. But, uh, I mean, it – I saw it because I was, I was scrolling on my phone. You know, I was like tweeting. I was like, oh my God, like I can't watch, but I'll be back soon. And I got, you know, I was trying to write at the same time because like I said, I had to work it. You know, I was at work and the hour of the morning started with a four. I'll just put that <laughs> out there. So it was very early. So me staying up late. And if you look back at the timeline, I was up to like midnight something, midnight 30, like writing, you know, like I was trying to work ahead so I could get a little bit more sleep. Um, 
I was like, yeah, you know, like, da, da, da. and I saw it and everybody's like, oh, he's going crazy. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know actually, but like, it wouldn't have surprised me. Just like he decapitated somebody <laughs> and you know, like that's what Amari Carter does. So where's the weakness? Where is the weak spot on defense for Miami? Cornerbacks not named Al Blades Jr. Like he's a, he's a Miami caliber cornerback and their end of the list you know it's just it's a position that doesn't have the talent or performance that it needs to um you know i mean there are some blue chip guys but if you're not playing like it does it really matter you know what i mean um and christian williams who was a blue chipper uh formerly committed to alabama from al from daphne alabama he just left the team and is in the transfer portal uh last week because he was number four on the depth chart and he thought he should have been higher as a sophomore and he wasn't really getting there. Um, so then you have DJ Ivy, who we did not hear his name one time last night, and I love that. So I don't even need him to be great. I just need him to not be abjectly terrible, you know? And, like, that's the guy who, like, you know, the Georgia Tech punter dimed up last year, if you remember that one up the sideline, um, you know, and gave up the first touchdown to UAB and things like that. And, you know, like, DJ Ivy looks the part. You know, everybody called him baby Artie Burns. They were saying, okay, he's Mike Rump, you know, the second generation because he's six, one and a half, long arms. A dude works in the weight room. I mean, he has pipes. Like, he's a very physically developed guy, but, you know, looks like that, but doesn't necessarily play like that. But getting him to be flat basic average yesterday, that's a huge step forward because it's been bad previously. Uh, you know, behind him, you have to Corey Couch, who was an All-American. Um but he's legit 5'7", five, 5'8", five, so there's going to be a deficit of height. And you saw there was a, a play where, you know, you had a six-foot receiver who's not gigantic, and, I mean, he looked gigantic going up and making a contested catch over to Corey Couch just because he's not that big. Although he's very talented and skilled, you know, there's going to be that deficit of height. And then you have Isaiah Dunson, uh, who's the other guy uh, at cornerback. Um, and there's one more on scholarship because there's only five. You know what I mean? Um but yeah, the, the corners that are not named Al Blades Jr., that's the area of concern. Um, just because they have not demonstrated the requisite level of performance, uh, you know, when the lights are on. So, uh, and we've seen actually some poor performances from them. And Al Blades, you know, he's pretty good. You know, he had the first interception of the year to bring out the first uh, turnover chain. You know, he's, he's grown into the role and he plays, you know, a, a good version of football. But, uh, you know, you have... And it's, it's more glaring because you have three NFL caliber safeties and additional depth behind. Because there's other guys who play safety who are going to be NFL players. I'm just saying these three right now, they could leave after this year and be NFL players. Um, but you have the best position unit in the secondary uh, on the defense. You know, the best position unit on, on defense overall is in the secondary. And the other one is the one that most needs improvement so that's where and also you know it depends on the linebackers because they it depends on like what the offense is doing you know we we needed to get additional speed on the field yesterday so you know Bradley Jennings Jr. whose father played at Florida State but you know he goes here um he had to come off the field because, you know, he didn't have the foot speed uh, and things like that. So, uh, you know, give me a Sam Brooks, give me an Avery Huff because we need that additional, you know, foot speed against Louisville. We need that as opposed to, you know, the bulk in size. So um, 
And Zach McLeod, uh, fifth-year senior, registered last year, had started with the other two guys who are now, uh, you know, NFL, one in the NFL, the other one on a practice squad. Uh, you know, so he's coming back for a fifth season. Um, but he's been uh, inconsistent, but, you know, more good than bad. Uh, but, yeah, you know, if you're looking for, uh, you know, things to to focus uh, the, the game plan against, I would say, you know, uh, maybe the linebackers and <clears throat> their gap discipline and – targeting any cornerback who's out there not number seven that's what i would do all right cam if you don't mind give us your bold miami prediction in this game oh i thought i have a bold one bold okay like it'll be entertaining right. is that like a, as bold as you can get i mean i will be entertained you know? so <laughs> uh i mean but if i'm going bold like I don't necessarily believe this, but I mean, hey, just, you know, if, if, if I'm committing to the bit, bold prediction, donut, goose egg, y'all don't score. I don't know if that's that bold. Yeah. That really isn't that bold. Really? Uh, wow. Okay. There's I, a lot of confidence in James Blackman in this room, clearly. Wow. I mean, I figured, you know, you push back. At least. I mean, yeah, y'all might, you know, hang a 40 burger or something, but we're going to get in the, you know, we're going to, we're going to put points on the board. But I mean, yeah, if I'm going bold, then this is going to be the first shutout that Miami's pitched against a power five team in a couple, a uh, little bit that they, yeah, that's, that's going to be my bold one. So I'm going to go with a callback on that one. The last shutout in the series, I believe, was the 1997 game, which Florida State won 47 to nothing. That, Give me that. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Book it. 40 burger, 50 burger to zero. There it is. I mean, yeah, if you want to put the Miami side on it. Hey, yeah. So it, if nothing else, 47-0, that's our over-under. That's our target score. You guys can, you know, go into the comments or, you know, hit the, whatever the email address is and say, okay, you know, is that going to be – is Miami going to be short of that or over that? But that has to be our target then. So, yeah, 47 nothing or better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the target from, the, the you know, the previous part of the series. So, right. you've got to sort of try to match that. Um, uh, realistic prediction, Cam? Realistic prediction, Miami by – I mean – three, four scores, it should be 21 or more, um, you know, and this is that, I mean, that's just being real. But the thing about it is if you go back and look at all these other times that we've played, even, uh, you know, 2017, and I, and I wrote this because we were still on the losing streak uh, to you before that game, um, that if you put up the blind profiles for Miami and Florida State in 2017, you did the blind. Okay, this is team A, team B. Who do you pick and by how much? Everybody, Florida State fans included, would have said the Miami profile team, excuse me, by five touchdowns. And we saw that was a last second, you know, throw from Malik Rogier to Daryl Langham to win that game. So while it should be a decent separation on the scoreboard, there's always just weird things that happen in this series. And I hope that's not the case. I hope that this is one of those aberration years, like the, which one was 41, 14, 2014, 2013. Yeah. Cause 2014 was, uh, when that was Miami down here. almost won. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. the whole so, like blocked the blocked, uh, pass and Carlos Williams accidentally caught it for no reason. Like the right. Yeah. That yeah, one exactly. weird game. So yeah, it, it, yeah, right. I wanted to be, you know, uh, 2013 ish where, okay, you guys won by 27 points, you know, where, okay, this is the outlier to the norm because again, the next year Miami had a chance. I mean, all these other, all of these other years, Miami had chances to win those games and found ways, you know, sometimes you beat us, 
more often than not, we've snatched defeat from the hands of victory. But in that run, there was the one high watermark of, okay, this one was different, you know, that I want this year for Miami to be the one that was different because last year didn't really get there. It took a while and it was still kind of, I want this one to be okay. We got out fast. We really took hold of the game, got the offense off their offense off the field. Our offense did whatever we wanted. I want this to be a year of separation of three or four touchdowns to really just kind of hammer the nail through that Miami is clearly better. And it's not a thing where, we're sweating it out because the exterior factors of mentality or history or whatever are coming into play, which usually happen most years, even when Miami's bad. And so I've been there, but yeah, let it be the year where we really separate a little bit. That's what I would like to see. I think that's probably, uh, unfortunately, as a Florida State fan, that's probably what you're going to see is that, that, <laughs> that that's going to be the gap. There is a big separation. Um, like you talked about, I mean, this, this rivalry has, has seen very few big, big blowouts or anything we talked about a few of them earlier um, and, and I think you're, you're definitely going to be correct that this is probably going to be that separation year. I think Florida state fans will remember fondly the 2010 game in Miami um, where Chris Thompson uh, had a, I think like 90 yard touchdown that was called back and then he ran it back ran and did another 90 yard touchdown the next play. But it was one game that Florida state fans felt was like, okay, there's the next level coming. And that, that following two recruiting classes ended up being the ones that took Florida State to that, that 2013 national title. If yeah. Miami makes this one of their separation games, do you think this could be one of those things that helps push Miami towards that glass ceiling, towards Campson that you talk about? Uh, hopefully. You know, um, I think that I will also need to see it, um, no disrespect intended, but just against a team that's better. You know, That's fair. Um, I, you sad, know, but, sad I, but fair <laughs> you know and we're you know like i said on a three-game winning streak i would like to see that continue so that your seniors have never beaten miami um i would love to see that uh you know continuing things and there are things to grow on there you know we had three recruiting class or yeah three classes that never beat florida state because we lost you know seven in a row um and i would like to start that trend uh, and keep that going. So that would be a step in the right direction. But, you know, I, you know, there are other, um, and I, yeah, I just need to see this performance or uh, a high level performance happen against, you know, other teams that, you know, Miami's found ways to lose to. So, uh, you know, if you're looking at a North Carolina who ended up being pretty average last year, you know, found a way to lose to them. They have obviously recruited well. They obviously have Sam Howell, who's, you know, when, oh, another name from the Florida State past. Hey, now. Uh, hey, now. Hey, I, I didn't even prepare that one. I promise you. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, Every, yeah. Everywhere that I look when I'm talking about good players elsewhere, I just keep running into guys who at one time were committed to Florida State. It's funny how that to Willie, brutal. Many thanks to Willie Taggart on that it one. It is brutal to watch football every Saturday and be like, oh, that guy was committed to Florida State. Yeah. It's like how Florida fans feel like when their quarterbacks be successful at other schools. I'm like, oh, remember when they threw just three picks a game here? Man. Time? Yeah. You know, and you have a guy who had the arguably one of the greatest seasons in college football history, and you left him on the bench behind Tim Tebow for what? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And Florida fans, I know you're going to be upset with that. I don't care. Cameron Newton should have started every second that he was at the University of Florida, except for 
you wanted the good feel good story and if we're being perfectly honest you wanted to have a white quarterback and not a black quarterback and that's when you left why you left the better player on the bench let's no, go we have, we're the we're the beam right now of the two hands going back and forth just over the hatred of florida there we go I mean, yeah <laughs> i and i've always said this i they're respect, too scared to play you I respect Florida State. I respect Florida State fans. You know, I like going back and forth. And, like, you know, I there's at least a mutual respect here. I hate them. I don't respect – like, they, there's nothing redeeming about the University of Florida. Like, no, 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 that's the one where <laughs> miss me with all of that. You know what I mean? It's, it's the arrogance. Yep. It honestly and truly is, you know, and it's pretty unfounded. But, you know, they did beat us last year. Okay. All right. And, you know, so they're going to go run and hide. You know, I've now announced my uh, retirement undefeated from video boxing. But, you know, hey, that's fine. We're here and ready. You know, and it took extreme level outlying performances to win against last year's Miami team by three for them. Oh, and Florida Florida vote, voted this year to avoid us. Meanwhile, South Carolina, who's not been great yet under Muschamp. They, their president came out, voted against their schedule, said, we want to play Clemson. Florida, mm-hmm. their president, they have – I don't know if this is just the Gator arrogance amongst it, but they didn't even mention it. They voted for the schedule. It's almost like they, 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 they pretend not to care about Florida State. And did you see how Miami. they were like, lobbying in conference to miss Alabama – and, you know, like, it was who? Alabama, Auburn. It was, like, somebody else. Like, they, or it was Alabama and Auburn. They were, like, cool, cool, cool. So, we have LSU as our crossover. And, like, LSU is going to be good. They were legendarily great last year. So, you know, that's not going to be the same. But they're openly lobbying, saying, okay, well, you know, well, we play very hard teams in SEC East, so, like, don't give us Alabama. I'm like, but if yeah, y'all are – I mean – if y'all supposed to say, you know, anywhere, anytime, you know, it was just like, you know, Gator Nation everywhere, you know, like, so (laughs) take Gator Nation on down to Tuscaloosa then. Like, why are we, I mean, or, you know, just don't openly say we'll play. Just please, please, please don't have us play those big bad bullies over there. (laughs) Really? And I'm supposed to for you. Exactly. So, yeah, I don't respect those guys, but um, you would, you would, you would have expected of all years for them to be like, yeah, we want to play Florida State. Come on. (laughs) right like this should be an easy win like run that up cool let's go i mean that's how i felt about it i'm and i'm gonna answer the original question and i'm gonna put a question back to you guys so originally yes i hope that this win this that i think is going to happen will help propel miami forward but i also need to see it against other teams on the schedule a la north carolina a la the beast and monster that is known as Clemson that's coming up after a bye week after this week. And I tried not one. to say their name all podcasts. I, I, Cause I'm, I'm focused here, but like getting through Saturday evening, then we have a week off and then that one. So yeah, I need to see, I mean, because they've beaten us what 96 to three, the last two times we played. Yeah. I need to see better performance than that. I was going to flip it back to you guys about this. What do you think about, or what was your reaction to seeing, excuse me, Miami and Florida State, not on the schedule, because obviously it's on the schedule every year, but it got bumped up to September. Was that maybe like, what was your take on that when you saw that happen? 
I think overall, Florida State fans were unhappy with the schedule period. Okay. Um, we felt like yeah, we, we, uh, we ended up not getting Wake. We ended up getting, you know, obviously Georgia Tech from the other side of the conference. Uh, I easy believe. Win. Yeah, I think we have Virginia. I forget if we have Virginia or Virginia Tech, but either way, they're better than us. Um, but we ended up getting, you know, the crossovers that we didn't want to get and losing the bad teams from the Atlantic that we could have played. So, okay. I mean, we, I think the consternation was more over the schedule itself rather than the, um, the, the timing of the Miami game. Obviously, it was a little bit earlier. Um, we were happy to see a bye week before the Miami game. That's oh, for sure. Okay. Uh, I mean, personally, um, though, I, I think we, we obviously probably were expecting us to be at a much different place after the Georgia Tech game. Yeah, I, I think we would want to face Miami later in the year. Uh, I mean, no offense, but – always. At the end of the year is when Miami usually seems to struggle uh, recently. Uh, and so – and by that time, Mike Norvell would have had more time with the players. We may be seeing a different quarterback for Florida State. So I, I think – personally, I would have rather had Miami near the end of the schedule. And so seeing them at the beginning, in my mind, was, all right, I'm going to go ahead and mark that one down as a loss before we even had everything that happened with George Tech. Well, I want to flip this one back on Cam. All right, so in previous years – for for the last, I would say, five, six, seven, eight years, uh, when Florida State played Miami, it's been you know pretty much a tight game for the most part. And then after the Florida State game, Miami goes from being a solid team, well, usually ranked, and then goes like maybe 10% of wins after that. So every year after the Florida State game, Miami seems to have fallen off in recent years. Are you, don't, don't you wish that we were playing in November so that you guys don't go 0-8 the rest of the year? Um. No, I think it was honestly when you guys were beating us, we put so much in to try to win that we let you guys beat us twice or three times. You know, it was just that hangover effect of, damn, we did everything to win and came up short. And then you win, you lose the next week. And So I think that was it. Since we have started winning against you guys, I don't think it's been the hangover effect in the same way. So no, um, you know, I'm just ready at any time, obviously. And I, I agree with you guys about um, the schedule. Because for us, you know, we don't have Duke on the schedule uh, this year. And I definitely need some get back against them because we lost to them in consecutive years for the first time in program history. But then from the Atlantic, we pick up Clemson. Oh, I mean, Louisville. Brutal. But and Louisville and Wake and Clemson. You know what I mean? Like, and you're looking at they say, okay, well, even if the offense only takes a minor step forward with the schedule, the original pre-COVID schedule, you're looking and saying, okay, you could realistically see a path, you know, for nine or 10 wins because, you know, you have, you know, your four non-conference games. So you're going to mark all of those as dubs, you know, you're only going to, and then you take all of those off. And then Louisville, that was, you know, a tough game to get through. I mean, obviously we separated, you know, finally when we got really rolling, but I mean, that's an upgraded team as opposed to, you know, whomever else non-conference. I mean, that's a better team than Michigan State would have been, and that was a non-conference game. But then again, in two weeks, you have Clemson. Like, hello. Um, but for me, I honestly, you know, since things changed because of coronavirus, I was of the strong opinion that Miami and Florida State got moved up because of coronavirus and saying, okay, look, we don't necessarily know – if we're going to have a full season or how things are going to go, but come hell or high water, if we're only going to have five games and we're going to get through September and half of October, I want to make sure that that game gets played. And I, that's what I 
kind of thought about it. But I mean, like, do you want rivalry games to be later? Absolutely. Like I said, I grew up in Detroit as a University of Michigan fan. Like we play, you know, the school from the state, South of Michigan, the last game of the year, <laughs> every year. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. You know, that should be that November 28th weekend game. Like at the end for Miami and Florida State, that's an October game. It always has been ever since my freshman year in college when I first went in 2000 and saw that game live and in person. And that's what really submitted my fandom in Miami, even as an undergrad, because I was still, you know, you know, OK, like I'm going to go to these games. But I'm going to really watch University of Michigan. And I finally dove in and, you know, I heard that darn war chant. And like, look, I, you know, again, I'm a musician. All these things uh, are things that I pay attention to. I know that the University of Michigan has the, you know, 425 or 385 member Michigan marching band. And they play the things. When y'all queued up that war chant the first time in the Orange Bowl, band upstairs at the end of the, the horseshoe, and I was sitting, I wasn't in the student section because it was overflow seating. And so, like, I just walked around and I found a seat next to a dude from Dallas and his son who were Florida State fans and they flew in, they had two extra tickets and like, cool, these people bailed, they got hung over. So they, they're at the hotel. <laughs> so if you guys are looking for a spot to stand or sit, you can be with us. I'm 19 years old. They're plying us with beer all game long. It was fantastic. <laughs> right around the 45 yard line. And, you know, we're all raucous because Miami got out to a lead in that game. And so, you know, we score first and everything. And you just hear the, it is the whistle that is singular. I don't care if you're a sports fan or not. You hear that whistle from a mile away. And the drum fill comes in and it was the fire of the sun. I was just like, oh my God, what is going on? And that was it for me, you know? So it's, it, it, it is so special a game. And it's different for the players, it's different for the fans, it's different for the coaches, it's different for the alumni of the football teams, of the universities, all these kind of things. And that's why I was like, you know, I see what the ACC is doing and throwing everybody a bone by making sure that Miami and Florida State hit the field if we only get six games. Makes sense. ESPN definitely wants that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's... <laughs> they're getting everything, you know. You got game day coming down, so Miami featured a second week in a row. Uh, obviously, we got the number one uh, group, uh, you know, the ABC National time slot, 730 on ABC. You get uh, Fowler and Herb Street, you know, the number one announcing crew and everything. So, I mean, yeah, they're, they're giving it the full treatment, and it's great. So, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to the spotlight for, you know, us and y'all. And the beating. Well, that was a tiny <laughs> font right there. Yeah. Noted yeah, Florida State pleasure. fan, Fowler. Uh, exactly. Well, I, you know, at the beginning I told you about 20, 30 minutes, and I think we're way over. So I'm, I'm way appreciative. I wish you could come narrate my life uh, just because <laughs> to bring that energy. But uh, I, hope it, I hope it's a competitive game uh, at least on Saturday. And, and I encourage all of our fans to go check out of you and, and check out what cam and everybody's doing over there thanks so much for joining us appreciate it no, i mean it was a, a great conversation it was a really good time so uh yeah and really honestly and truly thanks for having me you know i'm glad to see what you guys are doing over there uh tomahawk you know so i do uh i click over you know i, I read up, up until we play uh you know i i, I silently am a you know a tomahawk reader every now and then i'll see some headlines that you guys put and I'll, I'll check some of the stuff out but i mean you guys are doing really great work over there so you should be proud of that and uh you know thanks for having me but again you know for anybody who's looking for uh you know maybe the other side of the looking class this week as the rivalry game comes uh again the website is stateoftheu.com obviously we'll have the the link on tomahawk we're one of the other sb nation sites uh 
Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the State of the U. My personal Twitter account is at Underwood Sports. I'll be live tweeting the game and having all kinds of uh, perspective from Miami uh, throughout the week and uh, in the aftermath as well. So, uh, you know, thanks again for having me, and uh, you know, I wish you guys the best. Thanks, Cam. Thank we really yeah. appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Cam. Well, we really appreciate Cam. We really appreciate the State of the U coming on. Uh, we, we hope to have future interviews with some of the other SB Nation sites. Uh, check out State of the U. Go over there. I know we like to pick at each other. I know we like to troll with each other. But those guys really put out a lot of great content. So be some nice, respectable Florida State fans. And uh, check out what they're putting out there so you can educate yourself on all things Miami. So um, great interview. We encourage you to go check out the site this week. Uh, we'll be doing a high school recap, catching up with uh, Florida State's commits and targets in the past week and how they performed. I know there's a four verticals uh, article coming out. Uh, I know we've been, we kept Juan from it, so it's only going to be three verticals or something like that. But uh, thanks for sticking with us, Juan. Uh, and, and Perry, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're going to be able to catch up. Well, the media is going to catch up with Norvell this week and get some more updates on what Florida State's plan of action is. Yeah, I will personally be speaking with Coach Norvell tomorrow, asking about orange jerseys and the status of players. Um, but yeah, I thought it was actually pretty interesting that they are still having them available tomorrow with the media. Obviously, it helps out that everything has been done with Zoom, but I don't know, poor little guy probably needs some soup, some sleep. So I appreciate the fact that he's still going to be waking up early and listening to our dumb questions. So my question for you is, are you going to be the guy in the media to show up to that Zoom meeting wearing a mask as a joke and, like, trying to mess with Mike Norvell? Please don't. No, because he will crush me, like, through the screen. For, like, the I fifth just, time? Yeah, and that's why I'm ter- – like, Chris Thompson is head coach this week, and he has definitely murdered people. So I'm on my best behavior this week. I might not even unmute my mic. I might just nod and smile and just smile and wave, boys. Just move it along. Just put like a video loop of yourself there in the background. <laughs> the new Ferris Bueller, yeah. Just, <laughs> just nodding. Well, we appreciate you listening. Check out the podcast wherever, our past podcast, wherever you listen to the podcast. Give us five stars. Leave us positive reviews. Get on, get on your Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to the podcast. Rate it five stars. Leave it a good review. Uh, it really does help your friends find it easier. It pops up in the search engine uh, quicker. So when you go to find the Seminole Rap, you're able to find it easier I don't think I can top that so with that that's a wrap (laughs) Ah, I had to steal it from you (laughs) (laughs) 